music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always is my co-host, Fred Moreland. And we are unfortunate to be doing a podcast in, the, in a world post-Jay Briscoe, who unfortunately passed away uh, in a tragic car accident on Tuesday evening. Um, Fred, I know you have the details, and it's, it's honestly tragic. Yeah, it's just a terrible situation. Uh, according to the... Uh, press release from the Delaware State Police, in case you haven't seen that, uh, about 5 p.m. on Tuesday, there was, uh, it was on this two-lane road, and there was a uh, Chevy Silverado 1500 headed west, and the Chevy 20, Silverado 2500 headed east. East was uh, Jay Briscoe and, you know, his birth name, Jamin Pugh's uh, vehicle, and uh, the other truck crossed the center line for some reason and it was a head-on collision um reportedly uh briscoe was not wearing his seatbelt. um both of the drivers were pronounced dead at the scene um and uh the uh, jay had his uh two daughters with him a 12 year old and a nine-year-old uh who were wearing their seat belts thank god and uh they were taken to the hospital in critical condition. Uh, I haven't seen an update uh, of any sort on how they're doing today. Uh, hopefully better. If I recall correctly, I don't have it in front of me. I think there was a screen cap purported, purported I should say, to be, uh, be from uh, their mother, Jay's wife, uh, saying that one of her daughters uh, would hopefully be able to walk again. So... Tremendously tragic news all around. Uh, you know, we can't help but feel, you know, not just for Jay and his family, but also the family of the other driver. Uh, it's unclear what circumstances actually caused the wreck, caused her crossing the double, or at least the center line. I'm not sure if it was a, a double yellow or a passing situation or what, but. Yeah, uh, entirely too young, just 38 years old. Uh, he's going to turn 39 next Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Um, mm -hmm. And Mark's birthday was this past Wednesday. Yeah, it was yesterday. We're recording this on the 19th. So um, just a tremendously terrible situation. Um, the outpouring of love that was on Twitter, I think, says a lot about what Jay Briscoe was, was as a person. I never met him. I don't know him. I'm a, I'm a nobody. Uh, but, you know, uh, I mean, there were so many really kind things said about him by practically everyone that worked with him. Um, ones that stick out to me, Kevin Owens, uh, had some particularly lovely things to say. Uh, I will read that real quick. Uh, this is, he tweeted this uh, yesterday on the 18th, yesterday afternoon. Uh, I spent hours reading what people had to say about Javen last night. I watched some of our matches together. I went back and read our last text to each other. I am so heartbroken for his family, every single one of them that I met over the years. And I met a lot of them because they all stuck together like glue, all special human beings that would give you the shirt off their back and a heartbeat if you needed it. That's who Jamin was too. 
there are a few people in this industry that I consider pillars of my own career people. I truly feel I would not be where I am today had I not encountered them. Jay and Mark Briscoe are two of those pillars. In 2007, they had the opportunity to make or break two Canadian guys. They were trying to put themselves on the map on the U.S. indie scene. I remember walking up to Jay that afternoon before a match and asking what he wanted to do. Never met him before. First interaction we ever had. He heard my question, looked at me, and with a huge smile across his face said, Well, shit, man, let's go out there and fucking kill it. So we did. We did that night, and we did many times after that. Each match I had with him stands out in my memory among the thousands of matches I've had in my career because working with the Briscoes was special every single time. Having the honor of being in the ring with Jay and his entire family as they celebrated after he beat me for the ROH title is my favorite moment of my independent career, bar none. It was special for all of them, for the crowd there that night, for everyone in the locker room, and for me because Jay was special. I didn't see, get to see Jamin much after I went to WWE in 2014. In fact, I think we only saw each other once. It was like no time had passed at all. He came to see a WWE show, and of course, he had his own family with him. He was so excited and proud to tell me about everything his kids and his wife were up to and how great they were doing. He loved his family with everything he had. It was amazing to see them all. We didn't keep in touch very often, but every time we did, it absolutely made my day. Getting a text message from him was always like a giant ray of sunshine. I'm so thankful I got to have him in my life. I'm so thankful for the laughs and the memories. Just so thankful to have known him. I'm a better person for having had the chance to. My heart goes out to Ashley and the kids, to Mark and his parents, and to everyone else that knew and loved him. And that's a lot of fucking people because Jay was special. That's just, it's heartbreaking, man, to hear people speak so kindly about somebody that just is gone way too soon. And one that that stood out to me because, and we're going to transition into talking about uh, some of the elements of uh, Jay Briscoe. And as you can hear my doorbell ring, because there's a package. Um, uh, one of the things that why Jay Briscoe was never on mainstream television was because he had a couple homophobic tweets talking about gay marriage and um, he he spoke about it and said that hey I was wrong I thought I was speaking for God and he seemed to do everything that he could to become a better person and it was unfortunate that he was never really given a chance to be mainstream because he would have been he would have been considered one of the greats and likely the Briscoes would have been first ballot Hall of Famers and um it's it's really really unfortunate yeah so uh what happened exactly was in uh 2011 and uh more notably 2013 uh, jay had some homophobic homophobic remarks on twitter that he sent out um and those are documented currently on uh, wikipedia on his wikipedia page under the controversy section right now there's a couple slurs in there i don't really want to read um but you know he apologized um, both on the ROH website and at a house show and said that he was trying to reflect the redneck character he plays on TV, which I don't know. That's really uh, a great excuse, to be honest. Uh, but I think the more important thing he did, um, and Tyler, uh, as Tyler comes back, I'm just going over the, uh, you know, what happened with Jay and the tweets. Yeah. Uh it does appear that Jay really did actually try to improve and change as a person. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I saw a clip of Ian Riccoboni on, I believe it was a post news show uh, with Whiting um, where, where uh, Ian talked about how, you know, he thinks uh, from his experience with Jay, cause he actually traveled together quite a bit that Jay had uh, done self-assessment and tried to improve. And, you know, I've seen uh, tweets from so many people, um, including people that are out as uh, LGBTQ plus uh, about how Jay was a good person and tried to make them feel accepted um, in wrestling. And I think, you know, that that says a lot about him as a person. I think the really to me, the really important thing to consider here is that Jay did try to improve as a person and by the accounts I've seen looks to have accomplished it. And, you know, you know, it's kind of selfishly just because I love him as a wrestler. I, I wish that was given more weight, you know, that was considered more um, rather than the initial, the initial tweets. I, I feel like he paid penance for it. And most importantly, he 
tried to improve as a person and it sounded like he achieved that. And that's, I personally think, you know, being able to improve as a person is probably the best thing you can do as a person. Um, and uh, given that it seems like he accomplished that, it's, it's kind of a shame that he kept having mm-hmm. to pay for those, you know, for the absolute fuck ups he had, which yeah. they were. I mean, I'm not going to mince words about that. There's no excuses for those, but you know, he, I think he did try to make amends. Yeah. And I, I think this tweet from Effie really exemplifies um, him making amends and being a good person as Odie hits my coffee table because he's so excited that mom, my, uh, my bug guy is here taking care of the house. And um, the tweet reads, Jay showed me respect and love when everyone told me he wouldn't. If you knew Jay, you knew he would uplift everyone in that locker room, regardless of whatever world they came to wrestling from the best rest easy brother. And when we talk about Jay Briscoe and some of those unfortunate happenings from 2013 and how he grew as a human being and as a person, like it's, you just felt like there was a redemption arc coming and he was going to like, it's just speaking from a wrestling perspective, because obviously everything you heard was that he was a tremendous family man, a great father, and he loved his family. Um, but it's just from a wrestling perspective, we'll never be able to see him potentially have that true breakout that he's deserved for so long. It just as an in-ring performer, he is arguably a top five promo of, of all time. Um, there's probably like 10 or 15 individuals you could put in that top five kind of range because there's so many tremendous promos in the, the um, like the pantheon of professional wrestling. But Jay Briscoe, you could feel everything that he said. And we talked about this on our match of the year show. Um, If you just want a clip of us talking about how great the Briscoes were, um, there is a a clip on the voice of wrestling YouTube channel. Go check it out. It's about seven minutes of just us raving about Briscoes and FTR. Um, Briscoe, Jay made you feel, he made you feel everything was real. He made you feel every emotion, every, every ounce of like pain that he was going through in the ring. Like he, you just, you felt it with him and it, you just, it, the world of professional wrestling just, just going to hurt for a while. And um, when you transition to dynamite, uh, you could see it. The bucks looked lifeless, man. They looked just absolutely destroyed. And I don't blame them. They were, their matches with the Briscoes are legendary. And, them having to go out there and deliver against top flight, which they did. And they had that little homage spot of the doomsday device. Um, I thought it would have been cool for them to do a J driller with a, um, that combined it with the Meltzer driver, which I think who knows, maybe they'll do that, but you could just tell that J meant something to a lot of people in that business and just how quickly they were able to just put those little things together to, kind of honor him i think was was special and it's really unfortunate that we're never going to get to see him in a wrestling ring and it's even more unfortunate that a family lost a son a husband a brother and a father because that's that's the real loss here those those little girls are not going to have their dad and it, it breaks my heart yeah it's it's beyond sad. It's just utterly tragic and just a terrible situation. And um, I suppose that I'll uh, I'll segue here. Um, well, do you have any specific Jay Briscoe memories you want to share? Because my personal experience with them was pretty limited. I, I you know, the biggest part of it is probably the FTR stuff. Uh, I did not really have the cash to buy Ring of Honor DVDs uh, for you know the first decade of the promotion. And then after that, I was too busy doing uh real life stuff for a while um before i became a super wrestling nerd um the, the only period i ever f- was really invested in ring of honor was when jay, jay briscoe was world champion um in that 2013 uh era and like i didn't get him at first because i i at that point if you don't know my wrestling story from like i was a huge wwe guy in like the um a ruthless aggression era. And that was kind of my intro to wrestling. My first two matches were Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, Iron Man, and John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, parking lot brawl. Like that was my intro to wrestling. Cause my mom hates it. And I lapsed, um, 
in about 2008. And then I, I was living in an apartment in Fargo, North Dakota. And I, I found Ring of Honor. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. And watched some Jay Briscoe and I didn't get him at first, but then you, it doesn't take long. And his matches were, were excellent. His promos, uh, were awesome. The, uh, um, the fight on the farm with him and Mark, if you've never seen that is awesome. Um, it's, it's a, the weirdest combination of cinematic wrestling and, um, something you'd see on jackass while also being professional wrestling. Like, yeah, it's, I just watched it last night. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's excellent. Um, I wish I would have put that in my match of the year just because like number 10, kind of like that vanity spot just because that was it was a lot of fun and it fits so well with who the briscoes were and i i really started to get into the briscoes as a tag team over the past few years and their promos leading up to each of those three matches with ftr uh where they're jay is literally just standing in front of a cell phone camera yelling at it talking shit and mark just being the perfect compliment to him making little quips and jokes um, while still being in like a serious tone. Like it was beyond special. And I'm, we're going to talk about how the last match I, be- I believe in the life of Jay Briscoe was the dog collar match. I don't know if they have done any indie since I they think they did like house of glory. They did one after um, mm-hmm. the house of glory match. I do believe. The second to last match, then in theory, I know you're looking it up on Cage Match, Fred, of Jay yeah, Briscoe. You can probably hear me tippy tapping. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it was it it was your favorite match of all time, and one of very very high up there. Yeah, they did one more match with uh, Jay Lyon and uh, Midas Black in a best two out of three falls match, and I bet that was tremendous. Um, like it's, we could go on and on about how tragic this whole situation is, but. Um, I think we should really start transitioning to dynamite in the news. Um, and I think that the biggest thing, and I think you mentioned it while I was um, grabbing the door was the fact that, you know, they TNT and TBS Warner brothers discovery really didn't let them feature Jay Briscoe in any kind of tribute other than a five second shot at the very beginning of the show and a couple casual mentions, nothing, um, they really didn't let him do anything. And that's the assumption that uh, there's yeah. no, I don't think there's any concrete reporting well, on that out. And I don't did, think we ever would hold get on. That. I think Meltzer did say that on wrestling observer live, but I don't know how concrete you can call that. Cause I did not hear the actual clip. Yeah. I have not had a chance to listen to that show yet. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's very possible just because it's taken out context. It's very possible. And also because of how Dave speaks, um, <laughs> You know, some you have to get a degree in uh, Daveology sometimes to suss some things out. But you know, it's very possible that he's saying that he believes they did it rather, or they mandated it rather than uh, reporting it. Um, Dave's a little ineloquent at that sometimes. Uh, I did actually try to do a journalism uh, last night. I sent an email to. AW's media relations uh, and try to ask them if, you know, this was due to a mandate from uh, Turner Media, uh, Warner Brothers, I should say, Discovery, uh, but they didn't respond, uh, which, uh, frankly, I was expecting. Um, but, yeah, uh, it certainly seems that way. I don't know how you could really not draw that conclusion. I mean, the other conclusion is that, like, Tony Khan's a jerk that hates Jay Briscoe or something which defies all you know any kind of examination of facts regarding like not just you know what he's tweeted and how he's acted regarding the Briscoes since signing them but also how he behaved regarding Brody Lee's death um, I don't think it's that's a reasonable read at all you have to kind of be out to lunch to really believe that so the only reasonable thing I could think is that Warner Brother uh, Discovery whoever whichever executive there it was that came up with this uh, upheld it you know even after the man's tragic death which is really kind of fucked up uh, to be blunt mm-hmm. and uh, especially when you consider that Immediately after the show, they transitioned to uh, Power Slap, which has, uh, you know, 
Dana White's raggedy ass running all over the place um, after he decided to be cool to just slap his wife around in public on New Year's Eve. Um, and there would probably be some people that like to, you know, play the, well, she slapped him first card. Like, that just opens up a, uh, you know, your combat menu automatically. Like, this is some RPG shit or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't have any time for this bullshit. This is... You know, I, I could probably rant about Power Slap just as a general concept for hours and how it's terrible and going to kill someone. But, I mean, the fact that Jay Briscoe was treated that way, but Dana White was treated this way is really, I think, a moral failing of Warner Brother Discovery. Uh, it's a real tra- tragic thing in its own way um, that they don't get to pay tribute to this fantastic performer because... You know, because of what he did, and uh, but they don't give him any credit for making up for it. But Dana White, you know, gets to trot around on national TV as the centerpiece of a TV show because he said, "Well, if I get suspended, that's just going to hurt. You know, that's going to keep me from promoting matches, and then people will lose money." And everyone in the major MMA media just going like, "Oh, that makes sense to me. I guess we'll go with that." Yeah, I mean, I I kind of get what Dana White said, and I'm not defending him, but I, he also said that. I like me taking a 30 day leave versus me having to live the rest of my life with everybody thinking of me as like a woman beater. Um, If that's, that's inherently worse than just taking 30 days off and going right back to work, that doesn't do anybody any good. I kind of get it, but in all honesty, I know he can't really go away because he's a part owner, but he should probably just go away Um, and let's get a new promoter in there. It's, the whole thing is scummy, and it's really unfortunate that, uh, like, honoring a tremendous professional wrestler that made one mistake and did everything he could. Well, it was it was multiple times, but yeah, I mean, oh, he was? Did, okay, yeah, there was a couple. Of, there are a couple of tweets a couple of years earlier that were pretty shitty too. Um, that I actually wasn't aware of until just I just read them on Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, again. It seems like he really did try to improve as a person and, mm-hmm. you know, like not giving him a credit for that is, it's upsetting, you know, but yeah, it a hundred percent is. Um, and you could just tell that there was something off by the way, Tony Khan was tweeting last night during the whole thing, feeling like he should have been doing more to honor the passing of Jay Briscoe, like he did for Brody Lee mm-hmm. and the continuous talking about, like, hey, we're going to be honoring him. It's going to be available for free on YouTube and Honor Club. Um, and doing all those things is um, it was yeah, really there's, unfortunate. There's a lot of uh, between the lines reading you can do on the, with these uh, tweets he sent out last night. Uh, he actually, uh, really, I think he removed several of them, to be honest. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him delete a tweet before, to, to be frank. Um Oh, I just didn't go back far enough. Um, yeah, they are, you know, they, they talked after the show, they taped a tribute to him, which is going to go up on as a free show on Honor Club and also on YouTube. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, just the way he tweeted, Tony Khan tweeted about it, it uh, very much reads like he knows that he's catching a bit of heat for it. And uh, he's trying to say without saying that it wasn't his call, is how I'm, I'm reading it. Um, Yeah, it's that's um, it's it's really unfortunate. Um, But all all I can all I can say is this: it's it's tragic. I hope that everybody that knew him um, will be able to find some peace and will be able to um, eventually move on um, and be able to live a um, happy life because that's. It's not about us who love the professional wrestler. It's about those who love the man. Yeah, and that's I, that's far more important. Uh, and just hoping for the best for his daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, if there's like any kind of fundraiser for them. Um, we will definitely share that um, yeah. when, when it per- pertains. Um, and then if you have any f- favorite matches involving Jay Briscoe, please share them um join uh the voice wrestling discord and go to our channel 
which is um, at one of the top uh, groups with all the other great podcasts on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. Please share them with us so we can um, enjoy some more Jay Briscoe. Um, and my, my favorite thing, actually, that I saw um, over the past couple of days, and what I, I actually sat down and I put together a uh, list on my Patreon as a free post of like 10 Briscoe promos and a hundred matches that he had that are available somewhere online for free without getting into like torrents or any shit like that. Um, There's a video from uh, the pandemic, like I want to say April, 2020 or something along those lines where he is uh, practicing with his uh, 10 ish year old daughter um her cheerleading routine and uh it's just that was phenomenal yeah that that made me tear up uh just a great dad yeah like yeah he's he's having fun with her he's got he's got the same hair ribbon in that she does it's Mm -hmm. tremendously touching and uh yeah just very i don't you know i i know i've said it's sad a thousand times that's not enough times though so. No, it's it's not. And um, let's uh, let's move on and let's start talking about this dynamite. And as uh, I mentioned um, earlier, it was um, they did have the graphic of Jay Briscoe um, and in parentheses, Jamie Pugh, um, his his real name um, that he had passed away. And I thought it was noteworthy that um, during the intro. Um, during the pyrotechnics, um, Excalibur is like, uh, it's Wednesday. You know what that means? Well, he waited until the pyro was done almost as a, another tiny little homage to Briscoe. Kind of like a lot of times you'll do like the, the 10 count. Um, I know that's uh, a very um, common thing in Puro. And like, especially like I remember when Inoki passed away, um, that got really emotional, especially with guys like Okada and... Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, like, and you do the the ten count, and I think they did the same thing for Brody Lee. I would expect that when we see the Jay Briscoe mo- tribute shows with Ring of Honor, you're going to see a lot of the same thing. But um, we've spent a lot of time talking about how kind of unfortunate this whole thing was, and we're gonna we're gonna move on to talk about Dynamite. Um, Dynamite started off with a an all Atlantic championship match freshly screws orange Cassidy with Danhausen versus Jay lethal. And it was announced earlier in the day that if Satnam Singh, Jeff Jarrett or Sanjay Dutt interfere in the match, Dutt would be fired. Um, and they sneak up and they try to get front row seats, but, um, or, or Danhausen's like, no, 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 those are my tickets. These are my seats. And then in comes, uh, the best friends, um, Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor, and they had a match, and overall, it was pretty good. Um, really solid television match um, with some chicanery. And at the end, they come in. Satnam Singh's about to choke slam the, be- the best friends. Sanjay's still worried he's going to get fired. Jeff Jarrett brings the guitar, and he's about to swing it. Sanjay stops him. Overall, it was a little uh, a little gimmick heavy after the match. Um, but look, it's Jay Lethal and Orange Cassidy. They had a solid opening match. I gave it three and a half. Yeah, I uh, I thought this was pretty fun, but I also felt like the uh, comedy really distracted from the match to the point that the match was secondary. Um, so I didn't like love this, but I you know it was enjoyable in its own way. It was fun, um, and probably what they needed to start the show off, uh, just to kind of give some levity after probably a lot of heavy thoughts, you know, heading into it. Um, I went two and a quarter on it, which probably sounds grumpy i don't know but you know i just thought that they really leaned on the outside stuff a lot and the match itself wasn't too terribly much but it was well worked what we did see and uh you know it was uh fun enough so yeah um that i that's about all i have to say about it too is just kind of going off the rails a little bit just because um, of how somber of an episode this was. And it got even worse um, when AW World Trios champions, two-thirds of them, Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, Jackson took on top flight, Dante and Darius Martin. And this match was fun as hell. Um, a lot of flippy-doos, a lot of really, really impressive things. Um, the spot where Dante does that little uh, jump up springboard off the top rope, and then he gets the double super kick on the floor. Um, you get the doomsday device. Um, 
uh, from the Young Bucks honoring the Briscoes. But at the end, Darius Martin catches, uh, I believe it was Matt Jackson, with the roll-up, one, two, three. And I would presume, which we were kind of hoping would be the case, that Top Flight would end up getting a trios championship opportunity against the Elite. Looks like that's happening. So overall, it was a very successful segment. And you know, Fred, these guys have a lot better match in them. A lot. Yeah, this was a good teaser. This was a good start. Uh, I enjoyed this. I went four stars on it. Uh, just a, you know, it was very fun, very impressive stuff in there. Uh, like once at the very beginning when Dante just like did some ridiculous flip out of an arm ring, or it was like, well, there's going to be some shit tonight. Um, that was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just enjoyed it a lot, and uh, it's I mean, it's pretty obviously going to be setting up a uh, trios match between Top Flight and Air Fox and the Elite, which should be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely should be a ton of fun. Um, after that, we were supposed to hear from the acclaimed and then you had the guns come out. Um, well, the acclaimed um, got Austin's mic to shut off and then you have, have the rap. Um, and this, I, I did not want to see this Billy Gunn. I'm sick and tired of this next week. We're going to sit down and hash this all out. So I have two words for you. Family therapy. Look, there's a chance that this segment could be really good, but I don't care. I don't want to see it. I really don't I, like. I, I feel like we did this a year ago. Um, it wasn't even a year ago. This is like three months ago that we were dealing with the guns and the acclaim doing the flippy doos. Like this was last summer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I believe that it'll be a good segment just because the acclaimed acclaimed have a, a lot of skill in that kind of segment. And, uh, creativity and i think the guns are quietly good at talking like where i think i've just kind of started to figure out that they're good promos uh and uh so i think that this could be entertaining but i don't know it feels like we uh feels like we went really fast back to uh the gun club huh in the world title picture yeah and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um we talked on last week's show that ftr was given a long leave of absence from um, the ring uh, by Tony Khan, which let's be honest, after the year they had, they deserve a little R&R to be able to relax and heal their bodies back up. Um, and that's arguably a good thing. This is going to be an interesting one where we had Renee Paquette uh, interviewing Hangman Page backstage. Um, basically, this is a continuation of the storyline that's been going on that started really organically with John Moxley that legit knocking out hangman page in the world title match on October 18th. And now we're doing the angle where John Moxley now has the concussion. And it, somebody mentioned this to me, um, a good friend of mine, DJ Myers, and I want your opinion on this. Is this the beginning of a love triangle angle? Because like I, I didn't get it at first. And when he mentioned it, I, I kind of see where he's going with it, which is why I wanted to mention it to you, Fred. It, it he was under the assumption that it felt like these two like uh, had a they, Renee was a little extra friendly with Paige and there was a little like chemistry a little back and forth it felt like it felt a little awkward um i i didn't get that but i also i didn't want to rule it out what did you think i didn't get anything of that sort to be honest i i didn't think it was uh setting up for anything like that uh i think it was to me it was just uh Page, uh, you know, being kind of socially awkward <laughs> as he often is in his pro- promos, where he tried, you know, he was acting thoughtfully and uh, decided not to say something he was going to. Um, I honestly wonder if we're actually heading towards an eventual tag team between Mox and Page. That's the vibe I got more than any kind of love triangle centering around Renee, but uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I'm really intrigued to see kind of how this goes, but we'll we'll find out as as things kind of um, continue to progress forward because this is going to end in some kind of match, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's some kind of death match because let's be honest, that is a specialty of John Moxley. Um, next up, Jericho Appreciation Society's Jake Hager, um, and he comes out with Chris Jericho in 2.0 versus Absolute Ricky Starks. 
Um, Jericho goes to commentary, and Menard and Parker are um, ringside. Look, for a Jake Hager match, this was good. Um, I gave it three and a half. I There were some fun spots, um, some fun moments. I really, really wish Ricky Starks would have stolen the hat and run off with it because I thought that would have been really funny, and I think Starks could pull off the bucket hat. But we didn't get that, and we got a one, two, three, and then um, – we had the Jericho Appreciation Society try to attack Starks. Starks bails, and bada-bing, bada-boom. We have a kind of continuation of the story. Um, later on in the show, we had an interview with Chris Jericho and both Sam McVeary and Daniel Garcia, and Jericho challenged both Action Andretti and Ricky Starks to a tag team match next week, the Sex Gods versus Andretti and Starks. But Daniel Garcia interrupted, and he because he's kind of being mentored by Sammy Guevara, said, hey, I want to be in that tag match with you, Chris. And Sammy's like, well, you have a match on Rampage against Action and Andretti. You win that match, you can have my spot. And then he also gifted him a pair of leather pants for new ring gear. So it looks like we're going to be seeing a different Daniel Garcia in the ring here this Friday on Rampage. Yeah, uh, there was, uh, you were talking about Ricky Starks in the hat. He actually did steal the hat for a while early in the match. Yeah, but he didn't take it, but... it with him at the end. That's yeah, I mean. yeah. I assume that's what you were uh, getting at, and I do think that would have added. But uh, you know, I thought this was an all right match, uh, above average, but some ugly stuff. Like when Starks tried to slide under the turnbuckle and hop around it uh, right before the commercial break, but it didn't really go great. Uh, that kind of took away from the match a little bit for me. I went two and three quarters. Uh, you know. Pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't go out of my way for it, but you know, fun stuff. Yeah, um, solid I, enough. Look, yeah, Jericho Appreciation Society needs to go away. Um, I they need to break up and they need to do something else interesting. I don't know what that could be, um, but it, it, this is kind of getting a little long for the tooth for me. Um, next up, um, one of the best television matches I've ever seen on Dynamite: American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Bandito. Look. I, I understand that you can't always feature everybody. And I know maybe there's some um, other issues as far as how often they can have Bandito on dynamite. And let's be honest. We know Tony Khan, if he doesn't have creative for you, he doesn't like to use you a lot because then you lose overexposure. Yada, yada, bing, bang. We we've hashed all that out before, especially yeah. when talking about Miro, but we got to get Bandito on television more. He is tremendous. And you could kind of sense, um, I don't know. Uh, who who is the one who said it, but you could kind of feel Taz um, connect with Bandito because he's kind of a, a shorter oh, yeah. powerhouse. Yeah. Um, I, I, somebody gets credit for it. Whoever it is, go ahead and at me. You get credit for this. But I really like that. And some of the things Bandito can do, like, I'm sorry, that fall away suplex where he does um, the moonsault is oh, yeah. one, one of the coolest spots. Off the, the corner. Off the corner. Too. Yeah. Just because I've seen that standing, I think, but not—I'm not sure I've seen it off the corner. Oh, uh, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it off the the turnbuckle before. Um, I think Bandito and Hangman Page are the only two. Yeah, that done. Hangman um, Page does a fall away though, doesn't he? If I recall correctly. Um, that's a great question. I think he does the moonsault and the fall away. I think he's done both of them, but okay. um, I can be corrected on that. That's on me um, if, it, if I'm wrong, obviously. Yeah, I yeah. love this match. This was fantastic. The Bandito's uh, stalling vertical suplex is always so cool. Um, like, just really awesome stuff. Because he almost always, like, gets real close to putting the guy down and pulls him right back up. He's not done with him. Um, but, yeah, this was a blast of a match. Uh, you got Yave, Brian Danielson, um, which is fantastic. Uh, it makes me do – I do want to see him in CMLL now. Uh and a uh, great match. Uh, the closing sequence was awesome. I actually thought they were headed into the closing sequence like three separate times, uh, which is not a complaint. It was really cool. Uh, I just like this match a lot. I went four and a half stars on it. Uh, just really great stuff. No, uh, 100%. I, I loved this match. Um, more Bandito. Um, I thought it was really interesting towards the beginning of the match. You got a lot of commentary. Um, I believe it was either Taz or... Um, Tony Schiavone and then they were asking Excalibur's opinion because of the mask and how having the mask especially Bandito's mask because it goes down and covers so much of his face how it can be a hindrance to cardio breathing 
And I thought that was a really, really interesting tidbit, almost using it as a vehicle to explain why Bandito ended up losing the match. Now, they were talking about it within a few minutes, but I thought it was really interesting and just another little subtle point that really sets this company apart from everyone else. Yeah, there's a on commentary. I always think like there's a lot of thought put into things, especially by Excalibur. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was a, a nice touch where they talked about the pros and cons of wearing a mask, and uh, yeah, uh, just just a great match. Yeah, um, I just more Bandito, please. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, backstage, you had Renee Paquette back with Prince Nana and Brian Cage, and then. Cage has obviously got announced he was facing Danielson and MJF approached him with a pad envelope and said the money was for Cage if he could break Danielson's arm. So it looks like uh, Cage is going to do everything he can to break his arm because obviously he's going to get paid for it. But this one, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. Willow Nightingale versus Tony Storm and Tony Storm goes out with Soraya. Um, but we had a pre-tape. Yeah, let's talk uh, about this pre-tape because I got a ton of thoughts on this. Yeah, um, the pre-tape really mi- um, mixes well with the actual match. And it was, you had Soraya, Tony Storm, and Hikaru Shida. And they're talking, uh, Soraya's mad at Shida for throwing in the kendo stick and Tony Storm kind of defends her. And then she looks at Soraya and they talk about um, like, throwing shade on AEW originals and how they have no respect for the business and they don't understand what real work is. And, and you have Hikaru Shida who, albeit she came from the Joshi world. So mm-hmm. she's wrestled for a long time, but she's an AEW original. She was here since day one. Yeah. So they're throwing shade at her. And I heard somebody else kind of call this um, the, like the beginning of the female NWO. Um, I don't know if I can go that far. Uh, but you could definitely tell that this was a turn and it's probably best to turn Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter full blown babyface, anyways, because they're just so incredibly over and popular yeah. and literally nobody cares about Soraya other than get her out of this company. Um, and I think this is, this is a great route, but tell me your thoughts on it because I, I, I don't know. I got less NWO and more like mean girl veterans, uh, off this for uh soraya and tony storm uh, i think this is a great move for soraya because the babyface debut and push you know was kind of a flop uh initially but i think that she feel it feels like she fits in well into this role and i think it'll work really well for her. and tony storm turning with her gives tony like better stuff to do than what she'd end up with if she was not um involved in this and you know, she can work as a heel pretty easily. It doesn't, you know, she's already hard hitting enough where it's not going to take much of a shift in the ring. Um, just a few more cheap shots and she's a heel, uh, as we kind of saw after the match. Um, I, you know, I did see, uh, shoot, I like you, I forgot who said this. I thought I saw someone expressing concern about Tony Storm and wishing that she could just be moved to a, a different feud rather than it feeling like either you have to be involved in the title picture or you have to turn so you're still you know relevant but frankly i feel like this is the the you know this the biggest thing going on in the women's division right now and i think she's a good fit for what they're doing with it and uh i think you know it it works in several ways it freshens up her character uh because she did get passed by jamie Hayter in particular um in terms of crowd reaction that kind of is why they ended the championship when run when they did but also she um frankly can help Soraya out. She can be the heavy lifter when it comes to ring work uh, for Soraya, who is in my estimation, like, uh, like a C plus level worker right now. Uh, Like, you know, average a little above really, but not any great shakes. So pairing her with Tony storm, Tony can do a lot of the heavy lifting. I assume that they're not going to trot out Soraya every week for matches because bam, so far. Uh, So if like, she's on a proverbial, um, minutes limit uh then this would be a good way to keep you know her involved without her actually having to wrestle so i like this uh she does reaction when she realized they were shit talking the uh, aw originals and that pretty tape was I-, I loved how over the top it was um 
I think you can do that a little bit uh, without feeling too WWE-ish, and this worked for me. And then I liked the post-match where, um, I mean, frankly, Will and Nightingale had Tony Storm beat, or at least was their equal in the match. And uh, Tony Storm cheated to win because she's now a jerk. Then they get a few cheap shots in on Willow, and Ruby Soho runs out for the save, continuing the you know, from the last rampage and uh, Willow Nightingale still, you know, comes off like a star. I thought this was a tremendously uh, booked couple of segments. Um, you get Sheeta. Frankly, I think she's supposed to be teasing that she's stuck in the middle. And to me, it's more like she is definitely going to turn baby face. Um, you know, but she's just kind of appalled at what her friends are doing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I like this and uh, I think it's a great new uh, direction for a lot of people involved. The one thing I'm not abundantly clear on is where Hikaru Shida is going to end up in all this because it at first it felt like she was going to be the one turning heel and now she's going to be a baby face. But at the end of the segment, she didn't align herself with. Uh, Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale. Well, that's not necessarily the end all be all. You can, you can loop back and and make that work. It, this segment, while it felt like it was going to be Hikaru Shida centric when she came out, she ended up not mattering at all at the end. And I I found that element to be very interesting, but it mm-hmm. it could also just be me overthinking. I disagree strongly with your take. Uh, with all love. Uh- <laughs> Wow, wow, we're gonna have some drama here, folks. Yeah, Let's gonna fight. Um, no, like I just thought it was pretty clear that she was this actually the centerpiece of the segment because of the way she was shot and the way she was featured, and uh, she's supposed to be kind of torn in the middle by what's going on because she considered herself aligned with uh Tony Storm and Soraya. Now, you know, I know that it kind of goes back to uh a few weeks ago when Soraya almost sort of tried to start a big air quotes, uh a women's revolution in AEW, not realizing that it already happened. It was good to go. Um, uh, boy, that promo was a misstep. Huh? <laughs> they really, that, that was bad direction for that promo. Uh, and that kind of screwed everything up for her going forward. Um, but I, I thought that uh, she does, my take on it is she does tr- was trying to stay, you know, true to the people that seem cool with her. And then frankly, she's appalled by what they're doing. And, uh, is going to uh, reject their turn when they do it, when they turn heel properly. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Uh, I, I think at this point, it'd be a little weird if she did turn heel because she, uh, the last two weeks, she is, well, last week you can debate, but this week she was definitely not cool with what uh, Soraya and Tony were doing. Yeah. So for her, if like next week she fully aligns herself with them, it'd be just kind of a weird. Russo-esque swerve, I think, compared to what had happened prior. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I, I, I just—I can tell you have a big investment in this. I, it's like I'm still kind of we like weary is the wrong word. Just like the whole Jay Briscoe thing has my brain in a fog. And, and last week I was recording with COVID, That's so it's I've just had a massive brain fog here for a while. But what did you I, think of this match? I thought it was fine, um, and. As far as like what our standards have become for the women's division, I think fine is pretty dang good. Like I had a lot of three and a half. So I gave it three and a half. Look, these women can work. Um, Tony Storm um, just has has one of the best looks in the history of professional wrestling. She She's just a looked, total star. Oh, total superstar charisma, superstar look, superstar physique. Like everything about her screams this woman should be headlining. Um, and then when she gets in the ring, she works really well. She has literally everything. And I thought she worked well with Willow and we know Willow is not perfect. She has a lot, a lot of potential, but sometimes, you know, when you're developing potential, some of the green can come out and I thought she was good here. I didn't think she was great. And I think over time, you're going to see Willow become one of the biggest stars in this division, assuming, you know, nothing happens out of the ordinary just because We've talked about her having that Bailey NXT babyface energy. She's got a tremendous connection with the crowd. She has like her mannerisms are over the top, but they're not extreme to a point where, oh, this is just ridiculous. That's you can just tell that that's her, and I I really really like that. Um, I just yeah, the, the match was good, but there's better in there, and I think they know that. 
And I think that we're going to be able to see more. Um, the Ruby and Willow partnership was solidified even more after starting off kind of odd because, oh, you have like this lost soul in Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale, who's just who's just bubbly duckies and bunnies all the time. It yeah. doesn't necessarily make sense. But a lot of people had the friend in high school that like, oh, you have the jock and the art student. Like the friendship yeah, doesn't yeah. make sense in a vacuum, but it does. And I think that this is working. I just, the whole Sheeta inclusion, while it may make uh, canonical sense, I just think was really weird on how we got here. So I wish that would have been cleaner, but whatever. I'm I'm being nitpicky at this point. And what we're not going to be able to get nitpicky about is the main event. Darby Allen defeating Kushida for the TNT title. And I thought this was great. Um, Kushida just worked over Darby's arm and kept working it, working it, working it. Had the hoverboard lock, locked in. And then uh, Darby was able to get, I believe um, he got the pin with the last supper and Kushida yeah. was a little annoyed at the end of the match. You had Kushida go up to Darby Allen for a handshake and holding up one. And I thought it was also really important that uh, Kushida did not come out alone. He came out with Kevin Knight in the DKC um, two um, young lions um, in the LA dojo. I thought that was really important, especially as we talk about the, the New, York, New Japan strong dissolving and potential inclusion with ring of honor. Yeah. Uh, another thing I really liked after I'm sorry, I'm muted myself there because I'm a genius, big brains. Uh, <laughs> I think Kushida could be a really good cocky heel. Uh, I think he's got those mannerisms. I think he could actually line up in that role better than just being a, you know, the white meat baby face. He's seemingly been for like the past decade, ignoring his NXT retirement. Um, uh, but I really liked the little thing after the match he did where after he had worked over, I think it was Darby's left arm, if I'm recalling this correctly, he went to uh, raise Darby's hand after like kind of motioning that he wanted another shot. But he went to raise, he made a deal out of raising his injured arm and then being like, oh yeah, I hurt that. Let me grit your other one. So I, I kind of think there could be a little bit of a, of an edge there that could be very cool for uh, Kushida. Um, but I like this match a lot. It was just worked really smartly. Uh, so many cool spots involving like Kushida's arm bars and Darby throwing himself around. Uh, like there was um, like like when Darby tried to basically do a uh, Topicon Hero uh, or a somersault plancha uh, dive off the top rope to Kushida in the char- in the chair on the floor, and Kushida moved out of the way and grabbed an arm bar as part of that. Uh, I thought that was absolutely ridiculous but also an awesome spot um but just constantly working on the uh, arm really smartly the crowd what did you think of the crowd's response to Kushida both when he came out and through the match I, th- I think it was fine during the match but you could like I, Kushida just got super stale especially mm-hmm. in this time splitters gimmick in Japan then when he came over here obviously the NXT run people were excited at first it's like, oh, cool, Kushida's got new people to work with. He's going to work with bigger people, something he had wanted to do forever in New Japan. There's no way New Japan was going to make him a heavyweight just with how slight he is. And I mean, Hiromu's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's he's beefy. And yeah. I think you could have him pass as a heavyweight. And I mean, they didn't make Will Ospreay a heavyweight until he got beefy. So like in that uh, New Japan heavyweight division, that means something. The overall size doesn't matter. It's the look, the physique, and Kushida just doesn't have it. Uh, so initially it was like, oh, it's exciting. And then it just kind of went kablooey and nobody cared about it anymore because NXT stinks and there's really no redeeming qualities about NXT. Um, except, Hey, uh, you can see Cora Jade with the skateboard. Hooray. Um, but I just, I think Kushida needs something. He needs a repackage. Um, I really thought that he could be good with bullet club. I mean, yeah, it's a tired trope. Hey, let's just send the guy to Bullet Club because he needs to go heal. But maybe it would work. He needs something so desperately. And I think that's one of the reasons why crowds all over the world don't really care about Kushida. But once they see the worker, the worker's great. It's so much fun. I thought this was something of a, a put up or shut up match for Kushida, just because you know he just he he may have been the biggest victim of the shift to NXT 2.0. 
when that regime change happened, he was definitely not going to get featured. It was not, um, unfortunately, despite the fact that he's a fantastic worker. And then he came back to New Japan, but was like unable to really do anything at all, thanks to an extended fight with what was a hoof and uh, mouth disease, I think it was. Uh, just a uh, foot and mouth, which is mouth, a very yeah. it's a very common illness um, in children. Yeah, uh, somehow Kushida got it and just seemed like he couldn't shake it for, in my mind, it felt like months, even though I doubt it was actually that long. Uh, and then the Super Junior Tournament came along and like he and Kevin Knight were just not anywhere near the top of that tournament. Um, so we got, you know, just kind of middle of the card, middle, you know, like middling matches out of him for a while. Uh, and this was like his first real opportunity to show that he could do something outside of WWE. And uh, I thought he, he did really well. If it wasn't a home run, it was a triple. I thought he just worked fantastically. I do hope we get him as a heel, whether it be in New Japan or under the AEW umbrella. Uh, but wherever it is, I think that he's ready for that position and um, could do really well with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, overall, I thought this was a this is going to sound weird, but I thought this was a bad dynamite, but a very good wrestling show. Um, okay. Well, we just have such a high bar for some of these dynamites and how they've been so great. And I think comparatively what we've seen over the past six months, this is going to be like a, one of the bottom five shows. Like mm. it was good, but I didn't. And, you know, maybe some of it was the fact that the energy was just not there because of um, the death of Jay Briscoe. But I, I just thought compared to other dynamites, this show is not very good in a general sense of television wrestling. This is a very good show. And I think we're spoiled beyond belief with how great dynamite has been. I, I think comparing this show to last week's just is really unfair to it. Uh, just because last week's was one of the big, not quite pay-per-view, but pseudo pay-per-view like cycle ending shows. And there was no way it was going to match that. Um, I thought this was a really solid show, like a 7 out of 10. Um, it, it's not going to go down as one of the best ever or anything, but I thought it was perfectly solid. Uh, some of the matches I would have liked to have seen be a little better, but I mean, when you have three, you know, to use the Joe Lanza, Rich Krejci uh, terminology, three notebook matches, uh, four plus star matches, I mean, I don't know. I can't be down on the show, so. Yeah, like, I don't necessarily think it was a, it was a, um, a bad show. I just thought that there was, there was more mm -hmm. like it, it could have been better. Um, sure. Yeah. I think it I, was about like 85% what it could have been like top flight and young bucks. Probably if they, you know, weren't upset by the news, the young bucks could have had a better performance. You know, you could break down stuff like that. Uh, but if Adam page didn't turn into an occasional marble mouth at the end of segments, when he's doing his all shucks baby face stuff. Um, that, that segment would have been a little better if uh, Jake Hager was replaced by practically any member of the JES, that match would have been higher quality. Um, except for maybe daddy magic. I'm worried about daddy magic shoulder. I, I kind of worry he might be like, you know, a step behind where he was earlier in his career in the ring. Um, but yeah, uh, those are my takes. Uh, solid show. Yeah, um, really good show. And a couple news clips. Um, Fred, um, is is it more impressive that Tony Khan has the money to be able to buy tickets for every single one of his shows or that he's able to beat the ticket master bots to even get a ticket to his shows? Uh, I would say both. Obviously, the guy's got a... I can't believe he... Now, now I assume you're referring to uh, something from Melzer's show. Is that with regards to the uh, buying the tickets? Oh, it absolutely is. Um, let's, uh, um, the, uh, Dave on Observer Radio noted there's still people in WWE that think and believe Tony Khan buys all the tickets to his shows and distributes them. Uh, they were saying it's, quote, easy to run a business if you don't have to make money, end quote. I'm sorry. Come, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. WWE yeah. doesn't have to make money because they're getting it hand over fist. Like, like, like the, the, the ticket buying gimmick, um, like, look, the only company like major company that's ever really 
like giving out that many free tickets to their shows was TNA. And that was at the very beginning. And they kind of, well, it's, it's TNA. That's well, they that's had to move from Nashville. Yeah. They had to move from Nashville. And also they killed uh, the indie that tried to, uh, I think it was a Burt Prentice's indie that tried to take over for them once they moved to Orlando. Cause uh, they, everyone was so used to being handed free tickets to go to the fairgrounds every other Wednesday or every Wednesday night that when a company was like, Hey, please give us money so we can show you wrestling. They're like, nah, man, we, we want free tickets. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it, it's honestly shocking that people in, in WWE and I, I don't know what people, but yeah, that's a good question. My, my guess is by the tone of it's, not like stage hands it's it's gonna be people in the offices that believe this and i think to me that's incredibly laughable because we know like they have a pretty good deal considering where they're at as a wrestling company and they're gonna cash in like i if i had to project out what they're what they're going to make um i would project that they're probably going to get a hundred million dollar a year television deal um for the combination of um dynamite and rampage because hell, SmackDown from Fox is getting two hundred million, and Raw is getting fifty million. They're doing five hours of content for two hundred and fifty million dollars a year, plus two hundred million dollars a year for the premium live events in the library from Peacock. So WWE is making four hundred fifty million dollars a year. I I think AEW should easily be able to get a hundred, considering how consistent their ratings have been for their flagship show Dynamite. Wood and Will are different things. There's been a lot of talk recently, and it feels like this talk has been happening for decades now, about how um, the sports rights bubble is going to burst. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be one of those things that it won't until it does, assuming it ever does at this point. I just feel like there's too much pressure on not just the traditional networks, but also now the streaming services to get involved in live sports to try to avoid churn slash keep people watching um the the thing with uh aw i think is there's there's two things that i'm a little concerned about in terms terms of them getting big money on their contract a major raise uh one is that they are the secondary promotion i feel like they're definitely back away from a wwe where they were at the peak of cm punk's era um so that could affect things. Uh, and also Live Golf just signed a deal with the CW where they are not even going to get like paid by the CW. They're just going to get, um, oh, shit, uh, I am now blanking out on the exact, exact details, but I think it's an ad share deal, if I recall correctly. Um, it is an ad share deal, but I also think that one of the reasons why they had to go to the CW is because PGA um, obviously has been a, a tremendous partner with networks for years and years and years. And live golf is owned by the Saudis and not a lot of people want to get into business with the Saudis for many, many reasons that you've heard hash out over and over on wrestling podcasts. Yeah. So like, even though they have star power, it's also a different brand of golf. It's not four rounds. And after two rounds, you have the cut and then you have the final two rounds with everybody who made the cut. It's three rounds and everybody plays and it's, it's just a different style and not a lot of people have been open to it. The similarity there though, is that they are the secondary brand of their sport. Uh, somewhat like AW is in wrestling. I would say AEW is doing much better than live golf is in terms of the television business, but you know, it's still a little concerning. I think if you look at that, the other thing to be concerned with is uh, Warner media just being so cheap uh, over the past few months, you know, like just constantly, like they just shuffled Westworld off their service. They've decided not to release the last season of uh snow piercer instead trying to sell that off somewhere. They're selling off their music library. Um, I just think that there's a lot of reason to be, concerned about their financial situation and as a follow-up there's a the the secondary concern is how that what is aw's plan i should say uh regarding uh these negotiations do they want to stay with turner turner i keep saying turner warner uh to the point that they are willing to take a lesser offer from them or that they're less willing to push negotiations away from that umbrella um 
another concern would be, uh, will they get much interest from outside groups? Statistically, they probably should. But again, they're the number two promotion uh, that could impact things. So, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be like poverty for them or anything. But I do think there's a bit of concern that uh, maybe they won't get as much money as they arguably deserve. And that's a possible outcome for this. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see like when those TV deals officially come up, what they will be. But um, unless you have any other news, Fred, that's going to be our show for today. Well, I do want to go over what's coming up next uh, because we are uh, going to record next week. Um, we are now doing Thursdays as our regular show day. I'm saying this more to remind myself <laughs> than uh, so much the crowd. Uh, but this coming Rampage uh, tomorrow, uh, assuming it comes out today, uh, they're going to have an Eddie Kingston interview. Uh, about how uh, spoopy House of Black is and how angry he is, I assume. Uh, you're also going to have Brian Cage versus Willie Mack, which could be fun. Uh, Jake Cargill and Leila Gray in tag action, uh, which will probably not be much. Uh, Ethan Page against Jack Perry and Action Andretti versus Daniel Garcia. And then next week on Dynamite, because they are going to an obvious smaller city market, Lexington, Kentucky, which I get to see. Um, they have only announced Brian Cage for, or yeah, Brian Cage versus Brian Danielson uh, in a Brian off. Um, if this was a bigger market, they would definitely have had more stuff announced. I'm a little afraid of what we may or may not get. I mean, I don't think it'll be a complete disaster or anything, but I don't think uh, we're going to back into even a show, a card as strong as uh, what Fresno got this week. But hey, we'll see. Uh, I do think we may get to question action, which. Hell yeah. Um, listen, listen um, Fresno State Bulldogs better than the Kentucky Wildcats. I'll take Jay Kane over Will Levis all day. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. Um, I'm I'm slandering Kentucky, even though they beat my Florida Gators and made me sad this year. Um, yeah, um, also a production note, um, in two weeks, the beginning of February, um, the show may be delayed or we may have to take a week off. I will be in Mobile covering the Senior Bowl. So if you love NFL draft content, make sure you continue to follow me and the Vikings wire. We're going to have tons and tons and tons of it. Um, but just so um, when you're looking at that podcast, you're wondering, hey, what's going on? Well, um, I will be um, networking the entire time Dynamite is going on. And then Thursday, when our normal record day is, um, I will be watching live practice. So um, the show may be delayed just uh, forewarning for you there. But we will make sure we at least try and get something out to you. Um, you can uh, follow the show at good, bad hungry. Um, please make sure, especially if you're listening on the voice of wrestling feed. Well, that we greatly appreciate you listening. If you like the show, make sure you follow our own solo feed, the good, the bad and the hungry to help spread the word and make sure other wrestling fans know how much um, this show is that you enjoy the show. And then it will obviously help us in the charts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the real Forno. You can follow all my NFL draft work at the Vikings wire. You can follow Fred on Twitter at flagrant wrestling. And that is wrestling with an R like Ted Turner, not Vince McMahon sports entertainment. And uh, you can also catch Fred's Patreon um, in the show notes. And we will also have a link to the specific um, list that Fred talked about uh, categorizing some of the best um, in-ring matches and promo work of Jay Briscoe's career as kind of a retrospect. So you can uh, fish that out and all of it will be um, available on sites like YouTube and you won't have to go to fishy torrents. Like we had to do back 10 years ago to get any kind of wrestling. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Give us a five-star review and we will see you next week. Take care. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of all Japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.